This podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. Nerd Wallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Couric, and this is Next Question. I really like Kelly Ripa, and I'm guessing some of you listening really like her, too. After all, she has been welcomed into living rooms, bedrooms, kitchens, and morning routines for more than two decades as the co-host of ABC's morning talk show, Live. First with Regis Philbin. Now here's daytime's new dynamic duo, Regis Philbin and Kelly Ripa. Then with Michael Strahan. It's live with Kelly and Michael. And now with Ryan Seacrest. On the show and in person, Kelly has always been funny, warm, and self-effacing. And it turns out she's exactly the same way as a writer. Her first book, a collection of memoir-ish essays called Livewire, Long-Witted Short Stories, is out now. And we had such a fun time chatting about her career, her family, and the curious ways our worlds and jobs have overlapped. So enjoy. Can I just say, I'm so excited to see you. I loved your book. Thank you. I and loved I, your book. And so I it means know how, how meaningful it is when someone says sincerely and honestly that they loved your book. Because I felt like I got to know you better. I just really enjoyed being in your world. I thought you were so funny. Because, well, obviously, you're really funny. Your last <laughs> chapters honestly made me cry because made me think of my kids. You write all about Cindy walking off and kind of being in this space of your life as an empty nester. So I'm really, I'm really excited to be here to talk to you about it. And I think one of the things, one of the many things I learned about you in the book, Kelly, is that you're actually introverted um, and you're shy <laughs> and you don't really love social occasions. And then I thought about the times, I, you know, the occasions I have had the opportunity to be with you socially. And I thought, oh, that's so funny because Kelly's actually kind of shy and 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 not super um, outgoing at these at these things. And yeah. it made me realize, you know, everybody's sort of insecure. And I feel shy sometimes at these you things. You do? I do. I feel... Um, you know, I, I I feel once in a while kind of just uncomfortable in my skin or, you know, or people, do I have somebody to talk to? You know, all those yeah. things that I think everybody feels, no matter who you are. But the fact that, that you're kind of agoraphobic, actually, <laughs> what, was, was really surprising it, to me. It's funny. I almost, as you now know from knowing me, I think that the two times I went out this year, you were at both both events. Yeah. <laughs> Big events. Yeah. Um, I am really just a homebody. Um, I come from a family of homebodies. Uh, it's, I think it's definitely like a, a hereditary skill set. Uh, but I also think it's sort of how you're wired, don't you think? Yeah, I'm hardwired to just like, prefer the comfort of under my bed. <laughs> I, I, I mean think... under the sheets, I mean <laughs> hiding under my bed. <laughs> but I also would think, Kelly, so much of your job is being out there and mm -hmm. being outspoken and, being, and mm -hmm. sharing that when you have your alone time, you don't necessarily want to be like, blah. Yeah, I just feel like there's a, 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 a 
as you know, when you host a, a morning show, you're in people's houses every day. They get to see you. You know, I, I think it is a high honor to be welcomed into people's living rooms and breakfast tables still in this day and age with so many other options. The fact that we are still chugging away yeah. and we're still there and people are still welcoming us is a high honor. I don't take that for granted. It's not lost on me that there are so many other choices they could make, but they still tune in for us. But at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, and now people need a break from me. So I try to, you know, be as um, invisible as possible when I'm not there. You know what I mean? Right. So I don't go to movie premieres and I don't go to fashion events and I don't go to all of that stuff because I value my off time, but I also value like giving, America needs a break. <laughs> I don't know if people feel that way, but I think it's also because it's been very important for you to to have some separation between your home life and your work life. Yeah, I've always prioritized my home life the most because I feel like that's where my real work was, you know, I wanted to, and I'm very much like you. I know you and I were frequently the only moms at the track field. Right, um, right. The only, you know, it be, uh, felt like winter, but it was fall. And we'd be the only ones standing there because I feel like when you're a working woman and sometimes the morning routine, you have to miss a lot. You are forced to miss a lot. So those events that you can attend, you are super attentive, right? And at the end of the day, I was really trying to raise good people, responsible people, conscientious people. And I feel like we are, you know, in, in that respect, thank God I take nothing for granted, but so far they've really held up their end of the bargain. Well, I like the, that quote from Jackie Kennedy that says, if you bungle, you raising your kids, nothing else really matters. Yeah. That's... And it sounds like you and Mark have done a great job raising good human beings. We've been and, very fortunate. You know, but yeah. you, well, I think it also. We put the work good, in. Yeah, you put the work <laughs> in. It comes from good parenting. And, um, well, we had good parents. I mean, yeah. our parents are, I mean, they're very I'm funny. I'm so lucky. Yeah. And you're so lucky. So lucky. Although your mom, I wondered if she, I felt like you didn't write about your mom that much, and and uh, and I I I wish I'd gotten a little more sense of your mom. You thanked her at the end of the book, but I thought it was funny when you told her you wanted you were going to go to therapy. She said, "Are you going to spend a lot of money trashing me?" Basically, <laughs> basically, yeah. <laughs> and, She's very um, anti-therapy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think generationally, yes. my mom was yes. too. I think yeah. nobody even knew about therapy, much less talked about it from our parents' generation. Exactly. But I wondered if your mom, like, wanted you to write a little bit more about her. So I'll, I'll give you the heads up on my mom. Kelly gives us the lowdown on her mom and why she chose not to write about her in this book. That's right after this. This podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. So I'll, I'll give you the heads up on my mom. 
number one, let me just say, this is not a memoir. It's no, I know, It's just a collection know, of short stories. So, you know, if I ever do, if I ever do crawl out of the hole of being overwhelmed from writing this book, of course, I would write about my mom in, in totality. My mom is very much like everything I wrote about her, I would read to her and then she'd be like, get rid of that. Get rid of this. Get rid of that. Like, she didn't want me to talk about her at all. She's like, she takes my introversion and turns it like a hundred degrees up. Um, but when I asked her, because we're currently living with my parents right now, which is funny because I- And your mom- She's great. She's doing so well. She had heart surgery. She's she's making such an amazing recovery. Her doctors and nurses have been extraordinary. And it's very funny because you go from empty nesters and then suddenly like your nest is full. But right. with older people but who are like- that's so nice it's, for them. It's so and nice, nice for, for all you. Of, it's nice for all of us. We're really enjoying their characters. And so I said to my mom, um, mom, have you read my book yet? And she said, no, I'm not going to read your sex book. And I said, what? what are you talking about? What? I didn't write a sex book. She goes, well, not according. And now right away, I know that my aunts are sending her the headlines, oh right? God. From whatever, you yeah, know, yeah. Google alert or whatever it is, right? So she said, you've written a sex book and I don't want to read about you doing you know what with you know who. <laughs> and I said, it's not a sex book. As a matter of fact, there's very little sex in this book. It's just to advance a story in, in the order in which it happened. And, and, the, and, and, I, and there's a disclaimer at that chapter. If you're related to me in any way, please skip to the next chapter. Don't read this. You know, so I was very conscientious in writing. But she proved my most challenging, almost as challenging as my daughter, Lola, who wanted me to take out any and all references to her. Yeah. Um, but so, you know, it's I wrote this very thoughtfully with people in mind and I didn't want to put in anything that they ob found objectionable. So, you know, that's yeah. why there's not so much of my mom because she was Isn't like, that funny? I don't yeah. know your mom, but I was like, I feel a little protective <laughs> Ellie's mom, yeah, no. I guess, because yeah, of course. I think you all obviously have this this great relationship. My mom is the my mom is the probably the funniest person any of us will ever know. Yeah, but I don't even think she thinks she's funny. She's being completely serious and deadpan about everything she says. Well, why? You know, you say it's not a memoir. It is a collection of of short stories. Um, Long-winded Long -winded short, short stories, stories. Yes. and and I love the title and <laughs> Thank the. You the secondary title, whatever you call it. How did you find the connective tissue that would, you know, first of all, I guess, enable you to pick what you were going to write about, but that would make sense for the reader? So there were 200 more pages in this chapter, and a lot was cut out. You mean in the book? In the book. Yeah, I mean, yeah, in the, in the yeah. book. Forgive me. In the book, there were 200 more pages. So there's a lot that was taken out. My editor, Carrie Thornton, God love her, this woman, she stacked the book. I had the book completely stacked differently. I had it more chronological in, in its order. Mm -hmm. And she said, let me stack these chapters the way I feel they connect because you're too close to this book at this point. Right. I really wanted to start backwards with the last chapter and work my way to the beginning. And she was like, you now, because you've written... Now you think you're also an editor and you don't know what you're doing. And I said, did you read the chapter on asshole syndrome? Now I'm an editor too. <laughs> yeah. It's like anything yeah. I, if I see it, then I believe that I can do it. Um, and I, you know, having read so many great books by so many great authors, yours included, I, you know, I mean, thank God. And I think I told you this when you came on my show. Thank God your book came out when I had essentially finished my book. Because if I had read your book, I wouldn't have written my book. Oh, Does that come make sense? No, I wouldn't have. I, I would have been like, I can't, I'll never write a decent word in my life. I'll never write anything decent. It's not good. It's not, but ignorance really is bliss sometimes. And so I like blissfully and ignorantly went into this saying, I've 
read books, therefore I can write books. <laughs> well, you know, I think you sell your, yourself short, Kelly. First of all, I think you're a really fun, clever writer. I wish I had dog-eared some of the pages because, um, you know, it's very uniquely you. So I don't want you to sell yourself short that way. Well, it's funny. I would send the chapters as I would write them. And some of them were written and rewritten and re-rewritten. Like, I, I'm sure you felt the same way. Uh, I would write a chapter five or six times before I found it. Yeah. Right? And I would send it to Mark, who was mercifully living in Vancouver at the time. So he, people are, will say to him, you know, was it hard for you while she was writing this book? And he says, no, she was great. And I said, he has no idea how insufferable I was. Yeah. You know, for our 45-minute discussions a day, I would turn on all the charm and try to hide the hideousness of the self-doubt and the and the me pacing around the bedroom and trying to like construct a sentence, but I would send the chapters to Mark first. He was sort of my pre-editor. Right. And he would call me back, uh, or FaceTime me back, and he would say, wow, I, I thought this chapter was going to be about something else entirely. I didn't see that coming. And that's when I would know I got it right. Yeah. You know, I waited for him to say, oh my gosh, that's the funniest thing. Or how did you remember that? How do you recall that? And I would say, you know, when I write in those journals at night and you think that I'm just like making lists of things I have to do, it's that's what I'm doing. I'm actually writing down the things that I want to remember for. And it was Andy Cohen who told me to do that many years ago, years and years ago. I remember Jean Shalit. I think I might have mentioned this in my book. I can't even remember mm-hmm. what's in it, yeah. what's not. That that Jean Shalit said, you should talk into a tape recorder. When I got my job on the Today Show, he said, every day, talk into a tape recorder. Just talk about, like, what the day was like, what an interview was like. I was like, Jean, that is such a good idea. And, of course, I never did it. Well, And I'm not a journaler either. So it was, but thank God for the Internet. Right. Because I could retrieve yes. so much. Thank God I'm a pack rat because I could look back on speeches and my calendars and all sorts of other things that reminded me. But you, Andy was a really good friend to have you do that. And I'm sure it was extremely helpful in writing the book. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about Mark because obviously you guys have an incredible relationship. We do. Um, which is so nice. So <laughs> nice to nice. see. And, I, and I know you wrote about, you know, we were not supposed to make it and people in show business. But I do think you guys are both um, very much mired in your respective values of your families. Yeah. And... Um, but I did laugh at when you first met him, and it was when you were in, on All My Children, and he was coming in yeah. to audition for to a audition, role. yeah. And uh, you saw his headshot, and basically he had you at yeah. not even hello. No, it wasn't he had even you hello. At the headshot. He had me at Mark Consuelos actor. And then you come out in curlers. I think you had zip medicine, I didn't had, you? I had toothpaste. I had toothpaste because I had tried every other remedy. Yeah. And I had and a didn't giant, you have curlers too? I had those giant Velcro rollers. You know, the ones that are, look like yes. Coke bottles. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had those because, you know, the, we always say like in, in on a soap opera, the bigger the hair. The, the higher the ratings. The closer to Emmys. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. closer to an Emmy <laughs> you get. So I had these Coke bottle rollers and I didn't have any makeup on because I was like, for some reason, my scenes were at the end of the day and it's like, it's not a first come, first serve. It's like whoever's yeah. up first, you're in makeup first. So no makeup on. This giant pimple, uh, because why wouldn't I? And I had covered it with a Colgate toothpaste. But Colgate on, we decided for some reason at the soap that Colgate was the best for getting rid of zits when all else fails. All right. Um, Noted. No, right. And so I walk in and he is there because he was brand new to show business. He had never auditioned for anything. And here he was screen testing for a soap opera. And he had no idea what a screen test was. Same as me. When I screen tested, I thought it was a written exam. And I'm not kidding. 
And I, but you, you know how you, yes. I mean, I'm no longer at that place in my life where when now I'm brave enough to say, no, I'm sorry, I don't know who or what you're talking about. And I also love that you've discovered how to say no, that doesn't work for me. No, that doesn't which work. Which I for can't me. really do, but we'll talk about that in a minute. I'm but anyway, send, send you, say, you my therapist's okay. name and phone number, and she'll make you practice in front of a mirror. You know, you can't even say, no, I'm sorry, that doesn't work for me. No, you, you have I know. to take the I'm sorry out, but you try to. I can't do that. No, no, no. I learned how to do it, but it took, and I'm not kidding. No, that doesn't work for me. No, that, that doesn't work so for me. That sounds so cold and mean. It, it's, but it's not. It's not cold or mean. It's something that people say to us all the time. Um, they're usually men, and they, and, there's, yeah. and so you, so we, uh, I think, I. It's not just the nature of our business because I've been on a book tour, so I'm meeting. I'm meeting people from all sorts of industries that have really dialed into that particular chapter um, because they are utilizing my, no, that doesn't work for me. And it, guess what? You know, this is free advice. It's not a self-help book, but this is free advice. I spent thousands of dollars on therapy to learn to say, no, that doesn't work for me. But again, it was hard for me. I had to practice and practice. I kept saying, no, oh, I'm so sorry. And she would and say, maybe Stop. next time. Um, maybe <laughs> yes. ask me yes. next year. Ask me. Yes. Ask me in a year. Because they will. They'll ask you in a year. They you, mark it down. Even my husband was like, don't say that because they're going to come back and you're exactly. going to have to say no again. Exactly. And so I was in this place where I was saying yes, yes, yes. Or, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. That doesn't work because I have eight, 87 other conflicts. But you know, if there's some other day, oh, yes, we'll work around your schedule. You tell us what day you don't have 87 other things. So when you say, no, that doesn't work for me, it sort of stops any and all advancement of any other conversation. And it works like a charm. Every single, it works 100% of the time, 100% of the time. All right, I'm going to try it. All right, uh, no, but that doesn't work for me. You're, but, you're going to have to practice it in the mirror. I can see you already vacillating. You're formulating that I'm so sorry. Because I'm a pleaser. I understand. And I, too, am a reformed pleaser. <laughs> it's like there should be a, a, a self-help. Pleaser is yes. anonymous. Pleaser is anonymous. P-A. Hi, my name is Katie, and I'm a, a pleaser. pleaser. Yes. Hi, Katie. Hi, Katie. <laughs> But getting back to Mark and yes. the Colgate on your face, yes. did you really do a tap dance when you first saw him? I mean, I that did a really verbal <laughs> tap dance. Oh, I it thought was, you kind of were no. like, no. I mean, it was it. That was what I was doing. It was like, huzzah! <laughs> you know, I was like, oh my gosh, ha cha cha cha. I really said to him, I vomited words at him. He was spellbound. And not in a good way. And not in a good way. He was spellbound, and uh, and he doesn't recall what I looked like at all. He always goes back to, I was just trying to get a job, and I was warned that actors were strange, and so you just seemed like a strange actor. And I was like, did I? <laughs> you know, but I was so... Um, I don't know. I wanted to engage him in some way and, and let him know that... You know, I look at how low maintenance I am. <laughs> with the, I'm the girl with the Colgate on her face and the Coke bottle rollers in her hair. Totally, uh, uh, totally comfortable with uh, my future husband seeing me this way. Isn't that funny? But it's wonderful that you know that you guys did connect. That he wasn't like security. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, right. I mean, first of all, he should have filed a restraining order. <laughs> but second of all, it was this weird thing where I knew. Again, I'm not a believer in love at first sight. I've never been a hopeless romantic. I'm, like, very pragmatic. I'm a practical lady, you know. Uh, and like I've never, it's so funny, I never decorated a dressing room ever in my life until, like, my 15th year at live. My 15th year at live, I decorated my dressing room because I was, like, I think they're going to think you're gonna, and, they're and, probably just going to carry me out or maybe TV will end. I don't know, but I was so practical. I never wanted to keep things around that I would have to pack into a box and leave. You know right. what I mean? It felt like a waste of time. So people would always walk into my dressing room and say, 
is your dressing room being redecorated? And I'd say, no, this is my dressing room. Why? Why do you ask? It's so barren and terrifying looking. And I said, well, you never know. Every day could be your last day. Um, so to be a person that suddenly found themselves dreaming that I was married to this person, this complete stranger, and uh, that we were flying to Rome together on an airplane with a baby made no sense. And then I, the next day at the screen test, as I talk about in the book, I vomited that out at him. I said, I had a dream, you know. I, I had, had a dream. dream. <laughs> a beautiful <laughs> dream. <laughs> Baby. <laughs> okay. Um, and so I told him about this dream, and he was so non-threatened and grown up about the whole thing, and he sort of just, and, you know, the room fell into a hush. There were 10 other guys there also auditioning for the role of Matteo, who seemed spellbound by this conversation. He was, like, not even halfway paying attention. He was writing down blocking and taking notes. And I said, remember me from yesterday? I'm just so glad it turned out the way it it's, did. But it shouldn't have. I mean, he no, should have filed a restraining order. I sh probably should have been fired. I mean, I broke every rule that, well, I guess they didn't exist yet. It was the freewheeling 90s. Right. But, uh, but it, it, you it know. It wasn't the rules. It wasn't the rules. <laughs> there were no rules. And so um, I somehow became his friend. We became friends. And we really started liking each other and respecting each other. And we had, um, we had read the same books. We found the same, um, you know, we were both at the time following the Rwandan genocide and nobody was talking about it except us. So we would talk about it to each other. And, um, you know, and we had a lot of, commonalities even though we grew up very different our parents had he's he was born in spain he was born and raised in, in florida well right? he was born in spain and then uh lived in italy until he was seven uh -huh. his father was in special operations for the military and so and then they moved to lebanon illinois and then they he uh, went to high school in florida okay great um so he moved around quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And then I was born and raised in the same house my mother was raised in. My grandfather built the house himself. And but um, the South Jersey stuff the South is Jersey. really fun. I was from the South of Jersey. It is really yeah. fun to read that yeah. with the accent yes. and the mayor of Easttown. And it's, and what what you, you use some words that the way people. Yeah. Like the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. You know, you're going the Eagles game. And some other yeah, things. Bagels. Yeah. You know, or my name, you know, in back in high school, they would have called me uh, Kelly Rippet. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> sort of, yeah. With the er, yes, right? Yes. It's like uh, O's sound like E-U's. Yeah. Yeah. Um, R's are like almost, er. er, er. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like a heart. You do some yeah. very funny phonetically. Yeah, phonetically, it's almost impossible things. to understand. Yeah, you said you say bagel, you say bagel. water water ice. water Wait, ice water ice water ice right yeah. instead of water so, ice. So like, imagine taking a spelling test when you're in third Phones, grade. Beans, beans, yeah, beans, yeah, the home phone. Yeah, you have a home phone. I like. But, I have a hard time doing it now. I but. love it though because you're so. <laughs> proud of being from South Jersey. Yeah, I just love it. I but love it. But now I'm hearing, you know, people who have read this book, I hear from the North Jerseyers all the time. Oh, that they're they... like, you know, we're not fancy the way you think we are. And I was like, oh, <laughs> sounds like a little self-defensive to me. Don't hate our blueberries. After the break, Kelly and I chat about finding our footing in the Media Boys Club. This podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight, room upgrades, don't wait to make smart financial decisions. 
Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. There's so much we could talk about, Kelly, but I do want to ask you, obviously, Mm -hmm. about just because I think we have a lot in common, being a woman, uh, fulfilling kind of the role of an archetype, um, Mm -hmm. being put in a box and and sort of not being able to expand outside the borders of that box. And but but I want to ask you about your live experience, because it was so bizarre to me. Not although not really. But, (laughs) you know, it sounds like the whole thing was fraught. I would say that that fraught at least the beginning yeah. of of your career at Live because you were sort of wanted but sort of not and it yes. wasn't like it was just this bizarre wooing process that wasn't really wooing but just kind of like we've got to fill this role mm-hmm. and she's there and it was a very uh it was it must have been a very strange experience and i think you capture it really well in the book yeah thank how, you kind of what a mind fuck excuse me yeah, no, listeners it, it that's was what it right was. yeah it was very strange because um you know i did not know and again much like writing a book ignorance sometimes really is bliss i was sort of baffled i did not understand that there were these two separate organizations the network the and network then the show. and the local affiliate station WABC okay they were partners in this show but they were enormously the heads of both organizations were enormously distrustful of one another less so on the ABC network side and more so on the WABC right, side because the WABC probably had a bit of an inferiority complex well I think they also felt like well we were broadcasting this show locally right and now here they come and they want to make it a national show right and right now they're going to try to control us or who do they think they are or whatever. This is me thinking aloud. Right. You know, I'm not representing this in the book. I'm just saying I'm thinking aloud as to what the what was the basis of this strange dynamic. Strange dynamic that I could not possibly understand because I was living under this assumption that we were all on the same channel. So we were all friends and synergy and Disney and la la la. And I did not realize that because I was so wanted by the network that I might not be wanted by the WABC faction. Right. And I didn't realize that until much farther along. You know, Lauren, my producer for Mm -hmm. the podcast, was saying that, you know, Kathy Lee didn't have that issue because she and Regis came up together. together. Yeah. But then he was established. He probably felt or maybe that contingent felt they were being big footed or forced to do something by the network. Right. And not necessarily um, were on board with it or, you know, looking back on it, what do you think you could have done to smooth things over a little bit? Do you Uh, think because I think it's not that dissimilar from my experience at CBS where Les Moonves, the head of entertainment, wooed me. But I never got the complete buy-in by the news division. And I think that if I had politically, and I'm not very political, unfortunately, if I had politically like gone to different people within the news division and really kind of won them over or at least had the knowledge that they didn't want me there or they didn't want me there, uh, it would have been maybe slightly different. Do you look, think back yeah, on... Yeah, I, I mean, it's so, you know, it's 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 so interesting you say that, and that's why I'm very, like, careful to point out that it certainly wasn't Regis's fault. You know, I never blame him in this book. I don't blame him at all because he was assigned a co-host. Right. And this is a man that had 
earned his place in show business and he had, you know, kept that train on the track. So do you think if you had said, I want to make sure Regis is okay with this, that it might have made the transition easier? I, I think that I was so unaware that he wasn't. That he wasn't. I it never occurred to me that he would not have the stamp of approval. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Right. When, even when they said to me, it's not his choice to make, it's our choice. And I was like, but it should be his choice. Right. And they said, well, we're not going to force a host upon any other host. You know, and then you realize, like, that's totally untrue. Like, that's exactly what happened. And, 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 it makes me feel sad for for him. But I think eventually, eventually we did like have a smooth, like we smoothed it out. Like we right. worked, because I'm a very honest and earnest person. And like you, I am not political. So it never occurred to me that I had to, um, I didn't even understand the dynamics. Like who would I have spoken to? Right. I thought... I was speaking to the people I needed to speak to. And I thought that just me being there and being very deferential and me waiting my turn and taking my place and taking my lumps and accepting responsibilities for things that had nothing to do with me and playing that game, I thought that I was doing all of that. I thought I was doing all of the right things. You know, this is where I think agents sometimes fall down on the job. A hundred percent. Where, you know, they're so concerned with salaries, but they don't actually make sure that the environment that they're putting clients in is the right one. And I think the best agents would really, you know, even those who call themselves managers mm-hmm. would really take it upon themselves to help guide someone and help smooth over these rough edges and have the foresight to understand that this dynamic might not be helpful for their client. Right. And it seemed to be exactly the 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 previous statement yes. was it's more about the money and the yes. salary. And well, they're it, coin operators. Yes. And it was more about um, not necessarily being concerned with what was best for me or for Regis, um, or it was being concerned with the bottom line and um, not, you know, even even it's the times I said, you know, this is becoming, this is, seems to be very challenging, and I feel like I'm getting abused in the in the at least in the tabloid press. I was right very abused, and. Uh, and it, there was sort of this hands up, well, there's nothing we can do about it. What do you want us to do about it? You know, but it, you, you, I know you say that you, you smooth things over, but it sounds like like there were issues all along and that even when Regis left the show, it, there was some kind of tension or resentment. Or... Uh, not that I was aware of. No, no, no. It, but was, like... it was like literally after the fact and like 10 years after the fact. But but saying like to Larry King, misrepresenting right. kind of you and you know what? it seems like he sort of, uh, from my impressions from the yeah. book, when when you wanted to have a closer relationship, he was a little talk to the hand-ish. It, he believed, and, and because he had done the show for so long, that if you are working together, that is where it begins and ends. And then you have your life out. Any comfort- Do you think that was the case with Kathy Lee too? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know the nature of their relationship. Again, I think power dynamics right. are very different. And when you're two equals, that's a very different thing than what I was perceived as coming in as a secondary host. Right. So I can't, you know, it's like, I can't know that. I don't know what it was like. I just know that these were the rules that were established. Like the conversations had- had to be saved for the air. Right. And only for the air, you know. And And was he worried that if you had more of a social relationship, it might change the dynamic? Maybe. I mean, I remember thinking that with Matt and Bryant, I didn't want to hang out with them. Not that they wanted to hang out with me. I didn't really want to hang out (laughs) with them because I thought, what if I get mad? Or what if someone says something? Or what if somebody gets drunk or right, misbehaves? Exactly. Like, oh, I, right. don't, I don't want that to interfere right. with our professional relationship. Exa- well, that's what I said. I was like, only in this day and age is now like, 
we had a very professional relationship, and now that is looked at with like some sense of scorn. Right. And I said, you know, there was a time where that was to be revered professionalism right. in the workplace, you know. Um, but it, you know, it's one of those things that I, I I feel like whatever notes we hit, we hit correctly. And those, the reason I transcripted those parts of the book is because I wanted it to be accurate. My opinion or my thought process as to that should not in like should not interfere as as to the reality of what was said. It's, it's like these are the facts. Yeah. We and you saw kind of- each other. I saw him. He was on our show. But then this interview happened where he said he hadn't and was they never, never invited called him never and- called and and so i thought because <laughs> i'm an idiot i thought well it's also easily irrefuted irrefutable and the these the press will do its job and say actually he was on the show right. a few months ago actually he's been and it was like radio silence that story just spread like wildfire right and i was baffled i couldn't believe it and i went i remember going into work the next day and my producers all looked stricken you know kind of they felt bad for me i think they felt bad for me like i that it was being so misrepresented that it was being so misrepresented and I wonder, why do you think why do you think we just did that I don't know. Yeah. I and, say and, and, in the book, I don't know, and I still don't know. And you wanted to basically set the record straight. Yeah. But I'm not an course, abandoner. I don't yeah. abandon people. That's and, not and, my thing. And and, and, <laughs> and it's interesting because the reaction, I'm sure the tabloid reaction to this book, um, which I was sort of warning you of, I yes. think, when I came on the show, where things are taken out of context, twisted, or obviously conflict sells yeah right right and, but the and- only reaction to the book was that that my husband made me pass out while we were having sex i mean that was like that that was the headline of the book it's and like, that's a good story yeah. which you're gonna have to get the book but to it read really but is needless like to that- say mark dressed Car- kelly in a really bad outfit yes. when she passed out and mm-hmm. had to go to the hospital but and but that was this—that was the big takeaway, and I kept saying. But what about the Regis stuff? Has that gotten some some negative press? N- no, just the I Kathy mean, Lee comment. Yeah, but yeah. that was the only press that it got because I think people read it and understood it, and it was and went, "Oh my gosh, it all makes sense now!" Yeah. Like it. Oh. So you feel like you achieve what you set out to in terms of not 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 the whole book. I'm just talking about that yeah, sort of misunderstanding because- and and the fact. Yeah. That you wanted to correct the record. Yeah, which because I think we're entitled to correct the record. Especially if it's when the it's truth. When it's been misrepresented. So uh, that's why, I, like I said, I don't represent my opinion. I represent everything in transcripts because I think it's more important to have a transcript on record. Yeah. And, you know, and again, this is like one chapter it's like it's like I like people to focus on the book in its totality. Right. But I would be remiss if I didn't talk about my transition into that show because it's such a huge part of my life. Of course. And well, I'm with you, sister. Yeah. I mean, I feel this, the same way about what I wrote about my book and yes. various experiences but I it, had. But it's I also do- like not it's not a burn book. I yeah. don't disparage anyone. I leave the reader and again people who have read the book have a very different you know they it's the reason there were no headlines about that chapter is because it's not headline generating you know and people who have read it have this kind of understanding about what it's like to work in a place that it's not like organic, right? Where it's not two people getting to know each other. It's like fast. It happens fast. Everything happens fast, right? And then to have something misrepresented about you in the press, what do you do? Do you just hope it goes away, or do you set the record straight in real time? That's the whole right. point of the story, you know. Is that? But was it frustrating? Because I do think there were some headlines, and I think that's what Kathy Lee was responding to. Um, well, that 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 did 
misrepresent what you were saying in the book. No, I, I no, there there really weren't. I mean, the 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 headlines were not disparaging. They were not misrepresentative. That's what I was so surprised by. The headlines generated was that reaction to right, right, non-headlines. Right, right. So I was sort of fascinated by, oh my gosh, these are headlines that are now based on a, a non-reader of the book. And before that, there were no headlines. And yeah. so it really did, like, ultimately, I think you know this, like, book sales are, it's really a very word of mouth. And I, I'm not, a, I'm not somebody that believes that all PR is good PR. All press is good press. Right. I don't, I, believe, I don't that. believe that either. But when it comes to selling a book, it is. Apparently so. Apparently it is, as you know, yeah. as you are now aware. And so it's one of those things where I went, oh my gosh, it's so funny. Like I felt like there, there was a moment where I couldn't get my book mentioned in in Vanity Fair, in, you know, Glamour, in the New York Times. And then suddenly I can. And it's like that shocking weird. I go, and here I am again in this conundrum. Do I set the record straight or do I just say thank you? And I chose to say thank you. One of the things that, you know, you write about and is the fact that you didn't have an office. You didn't have a desk. You had no place to put your computer. Right. And um, I didn't have a computer. Either. You didn't have a computer. But then I got one. You know, but it took a while for you to yeah. feel like you were part you know, of things. Sound, yeah, it sounds like sort of a high school clique that you couldn't penetrate. Yes. And it kind of made me mad at, at, at Michael Gelman. You know. <laughs> it I, did. It made me mad. And I was like, okay, he's the executive producer of the show. He should be. He should be supporting Kelly. He should be creating a culture where she's welcomed, and it made me mad. You know, I don't think it's his fault. I really don't. I don't put any responsibility on him. I think it was a way, uh, way I'll never above. be on live again. No, no, but no, no just that's really not true. upset that's me. That's not true. No, I, I understand, and a lot of people think, like, they think they put it down to one person, like, well, he's the boss there. There are so many people that were over his head and over all of our heads that were worked above us. And, you know, I had and still have a great working relationship with him. And he has to walk a very fine line, a tightrope. That's a tightrope walk, not showing favorites, not picking favorites, not, and like say, and keeping your own job in the process. Yeah. It's hard, that's hard work. And anytime something seems easy, it's hard, you know? And so he's been the executive producer of that show for all, 872 seasons or whatever it yeah. is, you know, and it, it's like, I, I don't blame him because I think he was doing the best he could in a very, in a very delicate situation. It was also a different time, you know, one totally. of the things that, that people I think sometimes don't understand, they read things that happened in the past through the lens of the present. Exactly. That and that's was why also I, very profound. That yes, was very Oprah too. Yes. <laughs> You know what? You cannot you read should about do the this. past through the lens of the present. You should do this for a living. You're <laughs> but, very good. But, um, but no, you're right. But that's why in the book, I keep reminding everyone, if you like notice. Women were like, treated kind of like second-class second class citizens. citizens. And that's the way it was. And I write about it in the context of the time because it's important for people to gather the context of the time. These were not unheard of things. This was not an unusual. It was a very male-dominated industry. Yes. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and full of big egos. Yes. And, and so it was complicated. So um, what are you thinking about your future? Are you loving where you are still? You know, as somebody who did a morning show for 15 years and and really appreciate it every day, but it started to feel like Groundhog Day yeah. at some point Always. where like yeah. how many segments about, you know, what are the best genes I, for your body I, could I do? I also think about, you know, the young blood, fresh people coming in. I think about it all the time. I'm very cognizant of that, you know, and I discuss it a lot. You know, every time we have somebody on the show that's young and funny and effervescent, 
or even, you know, by young, I mean just younger than me, you know, <laughs> um, effervescent, interesting. Curious. I always, I always turn to Gelman and I'll say, you know, you should, you should look at her person. for, you should look at her for, you know, co-hosts. Like you know, when I go on vacation, I have her sit in the chair with Ryan. Um, and, and same with guys. I look at guys and I'm like, you know, you should take a look at this guy you know, because I'm very cognizant. I believe that as a franchise show, I don't think I'm the host of the show. I don't think the show's a success because of me. I don't think it's a success because of any one person. It is a group effort. And But come on, you're but, an incredibly I mean, important People part. like continuity. Mm-hmm. But they also enjoy that shot in the arm of the, you know, the breath of fresh air. Remember when you were the breath of fresh air? Yeah. I remember when I was the breath of fresh air. Yeah. You know what I mean? I remember that, you know. Uh, and so you don't want to be like the, 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 the person the who stays hot, at the party You don't want to be the, the hot breath. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? The bad breath. The garlic that breath. Stu- that stayed around too long. Exactly. But, but when you think about it, do you think like five years, two years, or do you think of you think like that? I don't, I mean, I think if I thought like that, I would really, you, you know, if I thought like in terms of years, it would be really too terrifying. I still would not have gotten past three years. You know, if they said three years from now, I'd be like, three years? It's more of a, I think, you know, when you know, you know. And, uh, and, and when they know, they know. You know, and I think it's got to be that group discussion and, and hopefully you know before they know well i mean i think i i actually think i do know i'm not willing to actually discuss it <laughs> but could generate all sorts of panic-stricken headlines but um you know i have a very good idea it is you know it is definitely like a finite amount of time mm-hmm. i'm not i'm not you know working there you're not going to be walking no. onto the set with a walker no no i'm not it's it's not a forever job and nor should it be you know everybody should get to I mean I wish everybody could experience it and they might have a better uh, comprehension of how difficult it can be right. and sometimes is um, but it's mostly a high honor to be welcomed into people's homes you know Kelly Ripa's book is called Livewire long-winded short stories and it's out now Next Question with Katie Couric is a production of iHeartMedia and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are me, Katie Couric, and Courtney Litz. The supervising producer is Lauren Hansen, associate producers Derek Clements and Adriana Fazio. The show is edited and mixed by Derek Clements. For more information about today's episode or to sign up for my morning newsletter, Wake Up Call, go to katiecouric.com. You can also find me at Katie Couric on Instagram and all my social media channels. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.